in, in Australia, chips means lots of things. It's fine by Have me. Have you seen that graph? Context is important. Yes, sort of yes, where, where all the things like, that chips mean. Yeah. And it's like in, in the UK, it's like crisps and chips. In America, it's like fries and chips. And in Australia, and it's, it's just chips. chips. and chips. <laughs> <laughs> we call everything chips. Yeah, well, if you, if you pick it up and you put it in, it's a chip. Yeah, they're all chips. I love the word chips. Do you like waffle fries? No. Okay. I don't like substantial chips. Okay. You prefer like shoestring. Yeah, shoestring or if they're going to be like like fish and chips chips, mm. I like them to be soggy. Like okay. I hate freshly cooked chips. Hate them. What if you just got them and then waited a bit? That would be never, the... Well, it would have to be like 20 minutes I would have to wait. <laughs> that is a weird thing. Yeah, I know. Because um, normally like say, I'm, say I go to KFC and yeah. I'm like, can I have a chip, uh, chips? When did you cook them? And they're like, oh, no, they'll be fresh. I'm like, well, don't worry then. <laughs> That's literally how the conversation goes. Are you super dismissive like that as well? Well, don't worry then. Have you met me? What do you think? Karen. <laughs> Hi, Ruth. Hi, Josephine. How are you? great how are you you are in fact not great i know that you're hot it's a hot day it's a hot day welcome to australia oh god hello and welcome to my favorite musical it's a podcast correct this is josephine oh i'm ruth normally we introduce each other yeah today's different you're shaking it up (laughs) because of the heat she's gone mad Oh, it's so hot. Okay, that's the last time I'll mention it. Um, she lied. This is a podcast where we talk to each other about our favourite musicals. Yeah. yeah. I, I hope everyone caught our episode number 30 on Phantom. Phantom of the Opera. Do you think they liked it? I hope so. Mm. Do you think we liked it? I didn't. <laughs> the musical <laughs> or the episode? Oh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Ruth, have you got any apologies today? I don't. Nor do I. Excellent. What's your spotlight? Well, so the reason I've picked my spotlight this week yeah. is because um, we're still sort of in the aftermath of the US election results, right? I think we'll be in that aftermath for quite a while. I think you're right. <laughs> it doesn't get sworn until January. I think we'll be in here for a while. Yeah. Um, no one's conceded yet. So, um, But I noticed like a lot of people were either like playing the song or like showing videos of the song Brand New Day from The Wiz. Yeah. Which is, I actually think, a great. Oh, you don't like that song? Oh. Sorry. I like that song. I don't necessarily love that entire show, but I like that song a lot. Interesting. Yeah. I like a few. I like He's On Down the Road as well. I, I love He's On Down the Road. And I like Home as well. I like quite oh, a few. Home's the, beautiful. Quite a few of the songs from The Wiz. Anyway, but I was reminded because of Brand New Day, I was like, oh, the Wiz. the Wiz. And then I look. I thought I would look at Charlie Smalls, who was the oh, composer nice. of The Wiz. So um, he, Charlie Smalls was a musical prodigy and started attending the Juilliard School at the age of 11. Is that like an official title that you get? Well, I think it's like if you accomplish a lot when you're a child, right? <sighs> so I've missed the boat. Yeah, I'm afraid so. <laughs> um, the Wiz was his only produced stage work. Um, but he also wrote songs and film scores and various other projects. He wrote the music and lyrics for The Wiz, which opened on Broadway in 1975 and ran for four years and 1,672 performances. Wow. Um, Charlie Smalls won the Tony Award for Best Original Score in 1975 for The Wiz, and it was also adapted into a film in 1978, of course, starring Diana Ross and Michael Jackson. Yeah. Um, Sadly, Charlie died quite young at the age of 43 in 1987. He had a burst appendix and oh, it died God. during surgery. Yeah. That is he tragic. He was in Belgium or something. He was on tour. Um, but, yeah, really oh, sad. Um, so I just want to highlight him and his work as I feel The Wiz is a really popular show but, like, he doesn't seem to get much attention. Yeah. It's, well, I mean, the other players in, in that production, in that creative team are really big players. Mm. So I think we talk about them a lot. Yeah. And, like, obviously – uh, for our spotlight, we're specifically talking about um, people of colour, yeah. um, minorities, and um, Charlie Smalls was a black man and that show is obviously like a sort of yeah. black retelling of The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you for that. No worries. Are you ready for mine? I am. I would actually just like to dedicate an entire episode to this person, but alas, <laughs> it's Audrey McDonald. Ugh. Ugh. That's right. Deep, deep. 
just so. the most perfect woman of all time. Right. Oh, so Audra McDonald is a true master. She's a black performer who had won three Tony Awards by the age of 28. Jesus Christ. She now holds the record for the most Tony Awards won by a performer with six. Oh. And she's also the only performer to have one in all four performance yes, categories. I love that. So she's got leading and supporting actress in a musical and a play. Yeah. All four. Crazy. She's just a proper badass. Yeah. And, like, we've spoken about her before in, in other contexts because she was one of the founding members of Black Theatre United, but she's also incredibly vocal in voters' rights, yep. immigrants' rights. She's on the board of directors for a large charitable organisation in the States called Covenant House, which provides yes. shelter to homeless people. Quite a few musical theatre people are. She is just, oh. Like Stephanie J. Block's really involved in that charity as yeah, well. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. So Audrey McDonald is amazing. And on top of that, like, she's got the most beautiful voice. Ridiculous. And what an actress. Because I, um, not that I'm doing it this week, but I am very soon going to be talking about ragtime. Mm. And so I've been living in the world of ragtime for quite a while because of how much I love it. Yeah. And it's just reminded me, not that I need a reminding, just of how wonderful she really is. Yeah. She's so talented. Yeah. Also, she just comes across as this person who is incredibly full of grace. Yes, absolutely. Like that's just what I see when I. Yeah. Yeah. I also have to say that I don't feel like there are that many sopranos who really sort of. Make it. Well, that and, like, really kind of cut in, you yeah. know, like she has just so distinctive and, like, I know so many people who are just like, I only like Belters but love Audra McDonald. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I think she's universal. Yeah. I think we should all be more like Audra. Yeah. My little Audra story is that um, I was supposed to go and see her um, with the Sydney Symphony. That's right. A few years ago when I had booked, like, almost a year in advance um, when tickets went on sale and then I – found out I would be moving to London for work so I didn't get to go. Mm. But then luckily she did some concerts in London the following year. Oh, God, So lucky. I went and saw her by myself at some theatre in London. Oh, was she just incredible? It was, she was everything. Yeah. She was everything. Yeah. Um, and I saw her in um, That Lady Day at Emerson's Bar and Grill yes. when that was in London as well, which was – oh, she was amazing. I, the play is not necessarily that good but um, she oh, was but incredible. Oh, she'd be perfect. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, that's Audra McDonald. Oh, I love I her so much. I love her on um, – she was on that private practice show. That's right. And she's in she um, The, so good, the in good Fight, um, which was The Good Wife spin-off. We actually mentioned that last week when we talked about Norm Lewis. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, she's – She's She's, e- she's everything. She's everything. Uh, Ruth, what is our theatre explained today? We're going to be talking about The Pit. The Pit. Yeah. Tell me. The Pit – Yes. <laughs> For the orchestra pit. <laughs> yeah. Is the area of the theatre mm. in which musicians perform. Indeed. <laughs> That's my brief summary. Do you have an extended summary? Well, you know what? Here's what I wrote because this has been quite the week for me. Yeah. So I didn't have much time to do my research and I thought I'll be able to wing it. So what I've typed in my notes is the pit where the orchestra are. <laughs> <laughs> the grammar is incredible as well. Thank you. Um, so obviously it's usually located in a lowered area in front of the stage. Yes. Um, and the conductor is typically positioned at the front of the pit facing the stage. Yes. Uh, the walls are specially designed to provide the best possible acoustics, mm. ensuring that the sound of the orchestra flows through the entire venue without overwhelming the performance on stage. That's actually a much harder thing than we realise, yeah, I think. Like I bet. That perfect balance. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Earlier in theatre history from 1500 to 1650, the orchestra pit was also called the yard yeah. and it was a lower level that lower class members of the audience would stand to watch the show. Yeah. Um, well, because, I, I mean, like musicians used to be on the stage. Yeah. They used, used to be up there on the stage yep. until, you know, someone just went like, no, fuck them. Yeah. Get down. Um, I just wanted to mention that probably one of my favourite examples of great use of the pit mm. was um, there's that main theatre at the Lincoln Centre yes. that I love um, in New York and for a couple of the Golden Age musicals. Um, so, in other words, the pit is kind of like under the thrust of the stage there. Yeah, and so, it's called the apron. Oh, the apron, yeah, yes. sorry. Um, and so they um, they have it open, like they have the pit open for mm-hmm. the overture and then the stage closes on top of them that's as the show starts. Yeah, that's really cool. And, in fact, I think it was – 
I can't remember if it was King and I or My Fair Lady. It may have even been both of them. The leading lady kind of comes out and the stage like kind of closes with her standing on the front of it so that eventually she's standing at the front of the apron but she started at the back kind of thing. Like she's moved on on the stage. That's that's really cool. how it starts, yeah. I think it was it Shrek that had – um, some of the apron covered, but not all of it. So it was almost it behaved like a thrust in that there was sort of like the orchestra in the middle, and you could come out in front of them. Oh. I'm pretty sure that's what they did, but it was still like it wasn't a thrust because it was still like a pros arch. Yeah, but they'd only covered like the front of the apron and the middle of the apron wasn't yeah. covered. Okay, which it sounds like a huge hazard. So maybe <laughs> I'm wrong there, but. Yeah, yeah, almost like a runway at the front, right? Yeah, that's right. Like it kind of comes around. Yeah, I'm not sure. Mm. I'll check that out. Mm. Could just be making that shit up. So, yeah, that's the pit. Have you got any recommendations today? I do. Um, I have. There's a, a couple of weeks ago, um, which I only just recently read, but I saw that they'd done, there's a series of articles in the New York Times about musicals that never quite made it to Broadway. There was like five articles. Oh, that's cool. So I'm linking to one of them, which was about The Baker's Wife. And just talking about the history of it and how it was how it was kind of doomed and everyone just said the show was so terrible and when they told the cast it wasn't going to Broadway, the entire cast cheered. Oh, <laughs> yeah, because it was just like <laughs> no. everyone just knew it wasn't working and everyone hated each other. Like not the cast hated each other but like all the creatives and the producer and everything. Oh, my God. Yeah. How toxic. Yeah. And because apparently, do you know, they kept trying to cut um, – What's the big Meadow song? Lark. Meadowlark. They kept trying to cut Meadowlark. Why and... the fuck would you cut the only good song of the show? Well, I think because it was so long yeah, and it is just very sort long. of stopped the show. It's like five and a half minutes. I think it might even be longer. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, shit. Maybe in the show. I don't know. Oh, right. but um, It is long. It's long. But, um, yeah, so, uh, you know, to the point where they, like, stole all the music, for, like got all the music from the They just tried to take it away. And took it with them, yeah. Who, like, the producers The producer, did that. yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, my God, how petty and yeah. shit. And Stephen Schwartz sort of was like, well, then you can't perform the show, you know, and, yeah. Oh, my it's, God. But there's a whole series of them. And if you go to that article, they're all linked within that article. There's a bunch of different ones there. But they're great. So have a read of those. Um, and then my other one is linked to my show today, um, which is an episode of Side by Side by Susan Blackwell. Nice. With the cast of the Falsettos revival, like with the four main stars. And it's like I thanks- love Susan. It's Thanksgiving time and they just like sit down for a Thanksgiving dinner with her. Uh, and it's just glorious. It's glorious. I it love that be. show. We've, we mentioned it on the title of show episode. Yeah. Um, and obviously – all episodes are good, but I rewatched it this week and it's beautiful. That's awesome. They're so close, the cast. And yeah. Well, close you would be her. in a show like that. Yeah. And I imagine Susan's just really easy to, yeah. Yeah. That's exactly. awesome. Exactly. My recommendation is quite different. This week I'm going to recommend a bit of an oldie. It's a fucking goodie. I want to recommend the classic 1974 MGM compilation film, That's Entertainment. Oh, wow. <laughs> I think I've watched this like about 700 times and it delights me just every single time. But because like I grew up on a very steady diet of MGM movie musicals yeah, and this is just all about the movie musicals of the golden age. Like it's just, and it's got every Golden Age musical star you could ever consider in it. It's so perfect. I haven't seen that in years. Do you know, as I was writing this, I'm like, actually, there's probably no one who hasn't seen this, but I'm going to recommend it they anyway. They used to play it on TV a bit, right? All the time. But then okay. kids today don't watch TV. Well, so. yeah, but here's the problem. I think you probably have to get like a VHS to watch it. I couldn't find it anywhere. Oh, really? Like I think you could probably buy the DVD on Amazon or something. Yeah. But like good luck. My husband adores it. So, yeah, maybe you'll enjoy it Did you just still have a copy? Yeah. I have like oh, it must be like a dodgy pirated copy because right, yeah. I've, got, I've got like a, a file on my yeah, computer yeah. of it. Yeah. <laughs> I love it so much. Yeah. Oh. That's awesome. And like Fred Astaire. Anyway. Yeah, I just love it so much. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Should, Should we wanna... talk about some shows? Are you first? I am. Of course you fucking are. Do you know how I know you were first? How? Because you always go first. Oh, okay. You're on drugs. Um, <laughs> Don't tell them. This week I am doing, surprise, surprise, after I just mentioned it, I'm doing a little show called Falsettos. Yay! I got a ding. I love Falsettos. Oh, my God. I... It's not that I 
didn't know how much I love this show, but like researching, I kind of forgotten. It's, I was actually thinking that it's weird that this is our third Bill Finn show. Yeah. But maybe the best one. Oh, interesting. And for very different reasons, like, I obviously adore Spelling Bee yeah. and I love A New Brain, but this one is I think I special. S- I, okay, so I think that I think the Spelling Bee is probably, it's definitely like the funniest, obviously, of yeah. those three. And I actually think that it's, it's a the very. most accessible. Uh, it's the most accessible. I actually think it's a really well-structured show as well, Spelling definitely. Bee. Definitely. Oh, um, yes. But like. The emotional wallop of this show. I think that's what I mean. Like yeah. this is this is like the most important yeah. of his uh, shows. Yes, I agree. I agree. And to be honest, I'd probably say it's the most successful. So like yeah. that's fair Oh, that's enough. definitely true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've actually sort of weirdly seen several different productions of this show, which have is you? yeah, like not a show that I would have thought that would have happened to. So I saw it at Darlinghurst Theatre Company in Sydney some years ago. I think maybe like 2013 they did it there, something like that. I thought you were going to say like 20 years ago. I was going to be like, what, <laughs> Ruth? Um, and I also saw the Off West End production in London last year. Yeah. Um, but it's really the Broadway revival that was done a few years ago that had me just fall in love with the show. Yeah, because that revival was perfect. Like I can't recommend that production enough. I am very sad I didn't get to see it live. Um, but lucky. But luckily they uh, filmed it professionally and released it for the PBS Live from Lincoln Centre series. Um, so even like seeing that filmed version, it is so far superior to any other version yeah, that exists. I agree. Um, it's just so grounded in reality, which is really the way this show has to be performed. Yes. It's also perfectly cast, oh, I think. Insane. Yeah. And I love the set. I love everything about it. Like yeah. I just think it is a perfect production. Yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, falsetto. So book by William Finn and James Lapine and music and lyrics by William Finn. So as, um, Josephine just mentioned, it's the third William Finn show that we've covered after a new brain and spelling bee. And to be honest, like he only has those three shows that have been like yeah. properly produced and are popular. And then there's just like a lot of song cycles. Yeah. And, and like, like he did that like Little Miss Sunshine musical, yeah. but it only really ever went to off-Broadway. Like there's no cast recording or yeah. anything. It didn't really go anywhere from there. Like those are really his main three shows. Yeah. So it's kind of weird when you think about it that we see him as this incredibly sort of impactful musical theatre writer and yet he actually doesn't, doesn't have a huge body no, of work. No, no. It's sort of an just interesting thing. Just an important thing. body of work. So – Falsettos is really two one-act shows performed together. These two shows, March of the Falsettos and Falsetto Land, are two-thirds of a trilogy about the character of Marvin. Um, The first show that isn't part of Falsettos is called In Trousers. And James Lapine was only involved in the latter two. But I think it's interesting to note that in terms of his career that March of Falsettos is in 1981, which he directs. He doesn't write, but he directs. He then does... Sunday in the Park with George. Yeah, he does. He that, does. that rework of Merrily that we discussed yes. in the Merrily episode and then Into the Woods all in the middle and then he does Falsetto Land in 1990. Yeah. I just think that that is a string of works. Just such important work. So incredible and uh, like for me like really important yeah. pieces like for my musical theatre yes. like life and taste. Yeah. So just good on you, James Lapine. Like I just. Yeah, you're a true legend. Yeah. Um, so the story, so it is 1979 and our story focuses on Marvin, his ex-wife Trina, his 10 year old son, Jason, his psychiatrist Mendel and wizard, the man he's just left his wife for. Most of the scenes and songs explore the various relationships between these characters and Marvin's attempts to integrate wizard into the family unit and Trina and Mendel, the ex-wife and Marvin psychiatrist falling in love and announcing their engagement. At the end of the act, Marvin has destroyed his relationship with both Wizard and Trina, but sings a beautiful song to his son about how he'll always be there for him. Yeah. Um, so that's much of the falsetto. So then second act is set two years later in 1981 and two more characters are introduced, a lesbian couple who are Marvin's neighbours, one of whom, Dr. Charlotte, is an internist at a New York hospital. The act is mostly centred around the planning of Jason's bar mitzvah, but we're also realising that Dr. Charlotte is dealing with the beginning of the AIDS epidemic. Marvin and Wizard have reunited, but Wizard suddenly collapses one day. Wizard is dying of AIDS and Jason ends up deciding to have his bar mitzvah in Wizard's hotel room, after which Wizard passes away. Hospital room? Hotel, I wrote hotel room. You're right, hospital room. I I don't know what I was smoking. Um, Marvin's friends and family surround him and he finally loses his composure and breaks down in their arms. And let's talk about that song. And it's so heavy. So heavy. (laughs) 
So um, beautiful I was, though. I, I probably mentioned to you um, on the weekend, but I had this realization during the week because I think. I've watched that. I've watched that pro shot like a couple of times when it first came out, yeah. but I hadn't really watched it since. But I just listened to the cast recording a lot, and in my head, that song, what, what, um, what could I do? That yeah. the love song at the end that Marvin and Wizard sing to each other. In my head, and I think I was getting it a little bit confused with a new brain. In my head, I thought that they sort of sang it to each other in Wizard's um, hospital bed, like yeah. that Wizard is still alive when that yeah. song happens. And then rewatching it during the week. I don't know what I was thinking, but of course it's not. It no. is Wizard has just passed away and it is basically like Marvin's by himself and he's singing and it's kind of like a vision of Wizard comes and yeah. they sing that beautiful song together. And it, I was just like It's even heavier than Oh you my think. god. Yeah. <laughs> just a cue like uncontrollable sobbing. Yes. <laughs> like I just that is just not what I thought it was. Also, like as an actor, how do you do that? Right? Yeah, no. Oh, my God. Wow. Anyway. Yeah. So some history. So the first of the Marvin trilogy in Trousers, which was William Finn's first produced musical, played off-off and then off-Broadway in 1979. It actually got quite bad reviews and William Finn considered quitting writing for theatre and going to medical school instead. Oh, my God. Luckily, he decided to stick with it. Yes. Um, so March of the Falsettos follows with an off-Broadway run at Playwrights Horizons in 1981. There's then a break for some years before Falsetto Land opens off-Broadway, also at Playwrights Horizons in 1990. Finn and Lapine then have the idea to combine March of the Falsettos and Falsetto Land into one show. They make slight alterations to it so that it is a more uniform piece. Mm. The show opens on Broadway at the John Golden Theatre on April 29th, 1992 and ran until June 27th, 1993, playing 487 performances. Wow, that's more than I thought, yeah, actually. Yeah, it, recou- it recouped its investment. That's awesome. Yeah. So the 1992 Tony Awards. So it was nominated for seven Tonys and it won two Best Book and best score that year the nominees for best musical were falsettos jelly's last jam five guys named mo and crazy for you and crazy for you won best musical yeah Mm, it's a bit vanilla isn't it yeah yeah so vanilla because even like both jelly's last jam and and five guys named mo are like quite interesting pieces themselves yeah quite dynamic yeah yeah so uh, yeah that's very it's a very safe show very crazy for you anyway So the revival was announced in 2015 and that James Lapine would direct again. It began previews September 29th, 2016 at the Walter Kerr Theatre and ran to January 8th, 2017. My understanding is that it was always just intended to be just that limited run that it did. Like I don't think – like that sounds really short but I think that was – Because it was like through the Lincoln Centre and – That's pretty normal, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the 2017 Tony Award. So it was nominated for five Tonys, which were Best Revival, and then all four leads were nominated, which is, like, pretty incredible, I reckon. Um, Sadly, they didn't win any that year, which is a shame because I think all four of them honestly were, like, you know, in some way. I I think particularly Stephanie J. Block as Trina was a little bit robbed, but then... I think partly like when she won for the share show, it was the industry being like, you should have won for falsetto yes. kind of thing. Um, that was the Dear Evan Hansen year. Mm. Um, and for and the best revival went to the Bette Midler-led Hello Dolly. And I yeah. think so she won best leading best actress, actress as well. Yeah. 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 Um, and the miss, the other revival that was nominated that year was the Miss Saigon revival. Right. With, so a heavy revival year. Yeah. Yeah. So some fun facts. So, Chip Scene was in each original production of the Marvin trilogy and the Falsetto's original such a Broadway Will, cast. Um, Will Finn, Bill yeah, Finn isn't uh, he? collaborator, yeah. yeah. So interestingly, he actually played Marvin in In Trousers and yes. then swapped to Mendel after that. Yeah. Um, Michael Rupert and Stephen Bogardus also played, both played Marvin and Wizard respectively in the original productions of March of the Falsettos and Falsetto Land and then Falsettos. Wow. Yeah. So kind of it's kind of crazy that the same person played Wizard like 10, year, 10 yeah, that 12 is crazy. years apart. Yeah. yeah. Um, he must have been very young <laughs> when it first started. I do feel like that character's sort of timeless a little bit. Yeah, like, I mean, he has to be younger than than Marvin. Oh, yeah, that's true. You know, like he has to be a bit of a toy boy. Yeah. But I guess so long as Marvin's also ageing up, it's yeah. not such an issue. That's so true. You know? Yeah. Um, the original Broadway logo, um, which was of two adults and a child holding a bright red heart, was actually an artwork by Keith Haring, who was a famous New York artist who died in 1990 of AIDS. Mm. Um, if you don't know his name, you would definitely know some of his art, mostly kind of like pop art and graffiti style images. Yeah. Um, but apparently it was kind of 
on that trend of like the way all the Cameron Macintosh shows had just like the cat's eyes and like Lamey's had Cosette. Like yes. that was sort of their idea, like to do one of those. Yeah. It was this artwork. I just That's thought that cool. was, it's kind of because now we would never consider like obviously back then that was a new marketing idea and so Definitely. shows tried to do it. But now you wouldn't go that sort of blockbustery sort of marketing for no a show way. like this. Yeah, yeah no. it's interesting. So um, before the London production, the one that I saw last year, um, around 20 Jewish performers and artists signed an open letter expressing concern about the lack of Jewish people involved in both the cast and the crew of the production. Hmm. Um, it went ahead and everything, but, uh, yeah, it was just kind Interesting. of there was no real Jewish representation anywhere. Oh. And I think that it's kind of like, like I know, for example, that not all of that cast, I'm fairly certain like Christian Ball's not Jewish. And, yeah. You know, but there would have definitely been lots of Jewish people involved in the show yes. if nothing else, you yeah. know. Because that's really integral to the yeah. story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to link to a very old New York Times article by Frank Rich, you know, the very famous yes. New York Times theatre critic, when he took his teenage sons to see the original Broadway production of Falsettos and they were basically the only children in the audience. Oh, wow. And what a great experience it was. I bet. Um, so, yeah. So it's, important. It's an article from 1992. Okay, ready. Um, but it's like, yeah, it's just kind of um, and how much they really enjoyed the show and the message of it and, yeah, it was it was really great. It's so universal. Yeah. Exactly. So a couple of talking points. So um, playing the realism, like I mentioned, I feel like this is a classic example of how important it is to, it is to always play the realism in a show, mm. no matter how caricatured the characters seem. Do you want to tell us a bit more about what you're saying? Yeah. There? Like what so, do you mean by that? Uh, well, like, so for example, what I want to give as examples is um, both the London and Sydney productions I saw of this did this kind of cartoony Jewish New Yorker stereotype, right? Mm. Like I felt like they were really playing a caricature rather than a mm. character. Mm. And instead of just trying to play the truth of the scene, mm. like this is literally just like what these characters are going through and you have to play the truth of the scene, which is what the Broadway revival does so well. Because, I mean, when you boil it down, it's really just family drama. Exactly. That's all this is. Exactly. And, yeah, there's some sort of fanciful bits in it and stuff but yeah. you still have to just play the truth of those totally things I think it probably doesn't help that we're uh, I, I I think in both the cases of the London and the Sydney productions obviously they were also having to put on an accent like there's all these mm. layers of things mm. right and that probably is harder mm. to do but it's just like if you make it too cartoony to begin with you're just going to lose all of that emotional like hit like weight that it needs to have and then it's almost like you're like you're satirizing it or you're yeah, like exactly so it's not really and I have to say that I also think that's true of the best performances of all of um, Bill Finn's shows. Like I think the same thing with A New Brain, like exactly Definitely. the same thing, you know, yeah. even though there's these kind of outlandish, um, yeah. almost these, surreal like, moments happening on stage. You, but also like that it's it's just because he works for a television show, a exactly. children's television exactly. show or whatever, like it's yeah. not, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, interestingly, like the – in the second act of um, Falsettos, the presence of AIDS is like almost a character mm. and it's so well done and it's also like what creeps in. Yeah, it's also what makes the show so heartbreaking. Yeah. The thing that I always despair about when I read stories of the AIDS epidemic and the people that we lost is the same thing that I despair about when looking at like the U United States' current response to COVID, yeah. which is just that these people that we've lost so needlessly, like what else could they have done with their lives? What could they have created if their government like had have decided to care more? about people than like money yeah, and fuck. jobs you yeah. know and yeah. um and of course you know we know that actually as we've sort of shown in Australia if you do and New Zealand like if you do care about the people like the economy fucking recovers quicker anyway right like yeah, that's you right. know but yeah I mean that's anytime I read about AIDS and especially the destruction that it caused within the theatre community um, on Broadway and everything, it's just, yeah. yeah, like what could these people have done with their lives but mm -hmm. the government just decided to turn the other way for years, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, I also think it's worth highlighting just as with a new brain what a genius Bill Finn is at showing very normal, loving, homosexual relationships yeah. that seem to elude a lot of musical theatre. It's also pretty amazing when you think of it being the early 90s when this is on Broadway Absolutely. and much earlier when it was, you know, when much of the falsettos was written. Yeah. 
there's also a lot of exploration in the show about masculinity, including obviously Jason's bar mitzvah, which is when he, you know, literally becomes Becomes a man. man. Um, And it's all just dealt with with a lot of nuance and heart. Mm. Um, Do you know, I was thinking about this because I knew you were doing falsetto and I happened also to listen to the Dan Levy episode of um, David Tennant does a podcast with and they talk a lot about how Schitt's Creek – um, was really groundbreaking in the television space for presenting uh, a queer relationship that was just just normal yeah, and sort of devoid of the drama of, say, homophobia or exactly. not that that, is, that doesn't yeah, have like a place. Da- but well, just... Dan Levy made the conscious decision that in that town homophobia just isn't something yeah. that is part of. And that this is, this is like a day-to-day life yep. of a couple. Exactly. And I was thinking about how sad it is that that's groundbreaking yeah. now, but Bill Finn was doing it in the 90s. 100%. And that's just incredible. Yeah. I mean, like certainly a very different audience in a different place, the theatre, but. So important. Mm, I know. Yeah. I, I actually, I have to say that with Shit's Creek, I, I remember like that, re- like. Um, that relationship was like the most beautiful on Incredible. Like ever. One of the, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like I cried at so many points during yeah. things and it was just like, yeah, it was given the same sort of just romantic notions yeah. that we get with. Exactly. Bullshit patriarchal. That's right. <laughs> female and male relationships all yeah. the time. Yeah. I want to cry in the same way, you know. Yeah. Um. This line is from the 2016 New York Times review of falsettos and I just think it's um, so spot on. Yeah. So among his distinguishing talents, perhaps the greatest is William Finn's ability to turn complicated but natural conversation and intricate interior thought into song, mm. a talent he shares, of course, with Stephen Sondheim. Yeah. And I just think that that's so true. It's so true. Yeah. And I really, I really, uh, doing the, sh- like researching the show and listening to it and everything this week and rewatching it, I was just like, oh my God, this is such a beautiful show. It's not necessarily the most accessible show. Like, I, no, and so, like, I agree. I have to say, like, so the 2016 Broadway revival is on Broadway HD, or there are definitely streaming copies available online if you search for the right things. Yes. I'm not going to link them, but no. if you search for the right things. So I really, really recommend you watch this, even before listening to the cast recording. Oh, yes, I definitely. just think it's by far the most accessible way into this show, which yeah. possibly there are certain songs that you can definitely just listen to. But, but you shouldn't listen to the whole cast no, recording. No, no. And – um. But yes, because some things are a little bit They're almost very past- visual, and and also like some of the songs are quite pastiche, yes. and it's more about like what's happening the on action. stage in yeah. the scene. And, I agree, and that's because it's almost entirely sung through, mm. and yeah. But it is a beautiful little show. Yeah, it um, is. So I'm going to link to all these are on Spotify. So the 2016 Broadway revival plus the original cast recordings of both Falsetto Land and March of the Falsettos. That's so awesome. they didn't do like a Falsetto's original Broadway cast. They just had those the two. two. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then some gateway songs. So I've gone with um, I'm Breaking Down, which is Trina's hmm. big kind of. Um, her breakdown. Yeah, her breakdown song, like sometime Very female sometime-y. breakdown yeah. song. Um, Stephanie J Block. If, again, if you can, I mean. Definitely listen to it. But if you can watch Stephanie J Block do this, she's chopping up um, food like in the yeah, in the she's kitchen. Dinner, she's yeah. got this big knife in her hand, and there's all this great sort of prop comedy with the knife. All that choreography with her like a banana in her mouth. Yeah, like, and she ends the... she ends the song doing this massive belt moment, and she just has a like a mouth full of banana. It's fantastic. It's she genius. Is amazing. It's so good. Um, so that's the first one. The second one is that duet that I mentioned, What Would I Do? That yeah. We've Mar- spoken about it about four times. Oh, probably. Because it's perfect. It's perfect that Marvin and Wizard sing to each other at the end of a song. It- Christian Ball singing that is so good. Oh, he is everything. And yeah. Andrew Reynolds, they're both so good yeah. in the show. Yeah. Um, and the third one that I've picked is the opening number, which is called Four Jews in a Room Bitching. Yeah. Um, which is just like a really funny kind of introduction to the show and the, you know, sort of the world that you're in, the yeah. falsetto land world kind Definitely. of thing. Um, yeah, so that's falsettos. I love it. Um, Do you know where where the name falsettos came from? I just I have a feeling it's just to do with um, like again these ex- explorations of masculinity and like that idea of becoming a man and mm. the the notion of like the falsetto as like the voice breaking and, yeah. and that sort of thing. I mean I don't know that for sure. Yeah, but it didn't come across it in any of my research. But that's my assumption. Yeah, I, like yeah. it's because yeah, it's just that thing of like it being like kind of the womanly part of a man and. Yeah. I, that's that's always been my assumption. Yeah, that's interesting. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Oh, that was good. I love falsettos. Me too. I'm gonna go rewatch 
that yeah. revival. Honestly, you should. The other one that really snuck up on me when I was rewatching it was when Father to Son, which is the song, oh, yeah. the beautiful song that closes the first act. Yeah. Um, and the little boy, because of course in on Broadway they don't have to like double cast the kid. So this little boy, Anthony Rosenthal, plays Jason at all the performances, right? <laughs> and in Father to Son, at the end after like Christian Ball has sung this beautiful song, Anthony Rosenthal is like start is crying like in the show. God, and he's just kid. like, oh my God. <laughs> like it's just you can't not cry. Like no. it's it's just insane. Man. Genius. That poor kid. Well he's acting. Yeah, but that's, you know It's heavy. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, do you want me to talk yes. about a musical? Mine's a little less heavy. Yes. Okay, I'm going to talk about Promises, Promises. Oh, yay. Do you like Promises, Promises? Yeah, I do. Do I, you? Yeah, I've, I've only seen it an amateur production. Was right? it mine that you saw? The one at AIM. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I think that's the only one I've seen. Oh, surely. No one else has really done it. Yeah, like I didn't get to see the Broadway revival. No, that's probably for the best. Yeah, I don't. But, I, yeah, I like some of the songs in it and... Are you a Burt Bacharach fan? I wouldn't say that I seek him out. Interesting. Yeah, but sure, I like I like a lot of the songs that I know. I love Burt Bacharach. Okay. Yeah, yeah. love. Excellent. Okay, so Promises, Promises. I love it. I didn't know it, so I performed, I was in a production of it at uni. Um, I was the understudy for Fran. Yeah. <laughs> Is that the lead female? That's the lead female. Yeah. And um, I didn't know it before we did it. Like it, I think it's actually, it's one of those musicals that everyone has sort of heard of, but no one really knows it. Yeah. Like no one's really seen a production or they've, you know, they don't really listen to it. Yeah. But you will know a lot of the songs from it yeah. because a lot of them became hits after the show. So some background. This musical is based on the Oscar-winning film by Billy Wilder, The Apartment. That's right, yeah. Yeah, so the film was incredibly successful, mostly because the subject matter was pretty raunchy for the time. So it was released in 1960 and it just slayed when it was released. Right. So I think I actually think it's a pretty good film. It stars Shirley MacLaine and Jack Lemmon. Um, it's a ripper, except for some very problematic misogyny. But it's also 1960. I was about to say, like, welcome to the 60s. all Hollywood films. Yeah, yeah that's, that's right. Time. So the musical was written after the film, obviously, um, because of its success with music and lyrics by Burt Bacharach and Hal David and book by Neil Simon. So oh, like wow. A, a totally, like, banging yeah, creative team. pretty team, yeah. Yeah, totally bitchin'. Okay, some plot. This is the brief synopsis. It's the late 1960s. It's 1968 and Chuck Baxter – the most American name I've yes. ever heard in my name, is a junior – in my name, what? I can't even fucking talk. <sighs> Chuck Baxter is a junior executive at an insurance firm and he wants to climb the corporate ladder, um, so he agrees to let his apartment to his bosses for their extramarital affairs. Yeah, so, like, right. when they want to bring their mistresses in, he will, like, just give them the key and leave for a couple of hours. Yeah. What? It's so classy. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, Chuck has a thing for a waitress at the company's cafeteria. Her name's Fran. His big boss figures out Chuck's scheme and makes a bargain with him that, that the boss can use the apartment exclusively for his meetings with his mistress and Chuck will get the promotion that he wants. Oh. So Chuck has to, like, get rid of all the other executives and so his big boss can use the apartment exclusively yeah. with his mistress. Um Chuck then discovers that Fran is the woman his boss is having the affair with and he's sad. (laughs) I bet. Poor Chuck. So Fran figures out that she is one of a long line of mistresses and she is sad and attempts suicide. Oh, God, okay. It gets full on. Chuck finds her because, like, like she's in his apartment, I think, when she tries right, to kill herself. Because okay. he, like, yeah. So Chuck finds her and they start to sort of bond as she recovers. Like she stays with him. I think it's over Christmas maybe. She That's stays right, with him yeah. and they bond a little bit. He eventually quits his job because he realises how morally bankrupt the whole thing is. And Fran likes that. He quit. Like he, she feels like, well, maybe he, you know, I don't, I don't know what she thinks. Um, He's got morals. I, I assume yeah. so. And like I think that means they presumably have some sort of future together. Right. That's the implication. I'm not sure what happens with her mental health, but because she found a man, I assume she's fine now. <laughs> that's how, that's how, that's um, how old works. Hollywood works. Yeah. yeah. So good on her. Um, that's really the plot. Right. Yeah. 
It's a bit weird. Do they actually end up together at the end? Yeah, yeah, it... but it's not like it's not like they make out or anything. It's more well in the film, and I think I'm remembering the production correctly. It's pretty much the same as like she comes back to his apartment, and then they play like gin rummy, and she says something like "deal the cards, idiot" or something. Right. Something very Hollywood ending. Yeah. So the implication is that they, they get together. Yeah. Because that's everyone's goal. Yeah. Okay, productions. The show opened on Broadway at the Schubert Theatre in December 1968 after tryouts in DC. It was directed by Robert Moore and choreographed by the wonderful Michael Bennett. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That show starred Jerry Orbach as Chuck and Jill O'Hara as Fred. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so the ensemble featured quite a few chorus line legends, actually. Yeah. So Kelly Bishop was in it, Donna McKechnie was in it, and Bayork Lee was in it. Yeah. Um, I suppose Michael Bennett probably got friendly with them and then invited them to the Chorus Line workshops yeah. like subsequently because it wasn't so long after this that a Chorus Line happened. Um, the Broadway production closed in January 1972 after 1,281 oh, performances. Oh, yeah, that's good. It's a really solid run. Yeah. Um, it was nominated for seven Tony Awards at the 1969 Tonys, including Best Musical. It won Best Actor for Jerry Orbach and Best Featured Actress for Marion Mercer, who she plays this um, – she's like a secretary at the firm, Peggy – not Peggy. It's Miss Olsen. I'm okay. getting confused Peggy with Olsen's Mad Men. Peggy Olsen's Mad Men, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what her first name is. It's yeah. Miss Olsen. Anyway, she's just like a side sort of like yeah. comic relief character. Does she have a song? Yeah, it's – um. Uh, a something can be a beautiful thing. She's okay. like a drunk. She's a bit of a drunk. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. At the yeah, Christmas yeah. party. Yeah. Oh, what is the name of that I'll song? I'll look it up. You keep talking. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that year, that, that Tony Awards, 1776 won Best Musical. Oh, okay. And it was up against this, obviously. So it was up against Promises, Promises, Zorba, and Hair. Oh, wow. She's like a really random. Like very eclectic yeah. mix, but in my head I had thought that Hair had won Best Musical. Yeah, interesting. But seventeen seventy six beat it. It's out. a fact. Can be a beautiful a thing. Fact can. Okay. Well, that wasn't as raunchy as I <laughs> thought it might be. Um, that year, Burt Bacharach won the Drama Desk Award for Outstanding Music for Promises, Promises, and Jerry Orbach won again the Drama Desk Award. Like apparently his performance was just outstanding. Yeah. Well, clearly it's certainly, it was. He's certainly known for it, right? That in the Forty yeah. Second Street. I think it was his debut. No, oh, really? Maybe I made that up. Okay. I probably made that up. Please <laughs> don't quote me. Uh, that, just add that to next week's apology. Yeah. Um, it also won the Grammy Award for Best Musical Theatre Album. Yeah, right. So there were a number of consecutive US tours after that Broadway production, including one starring Donald O'Connor in the 70s. So this is all through the 70s. Promises Promises then opened on the West End in 1969 and ran for 560 performances. Mm. But then nothing happened. For a very long time. For a very long time. Like there were just no productions of it. None. Yeah, right. Um, until the 2010 Broadway revival. So a reading for this revival was held in 2008 with Sean Hayes and Anne Hathaway in the leads. Oh. I mean, Anne Hathaway, of course, is a terrible choice. But what do you think about Sean Hayes well, as Chuck? Wasn't he Yeah. Yeah, in the revival? So what do you think about that? Yeah, I actually think... I mean, I actually think he's a really talented performer. I think he is too. I don't know how good his voice is. Yes. But certainly I think he's a very good comic actor. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Maybe. Okay, right. So the revival opened at the Broadway Theatre in April 2010 and it starred Kristen Chenoweth instead of Anne Hathaway. Yep. But it still starred I mean, Sean a much Hayes. better choice. Yeah, but still not a good choice. Okay. You don't, you don't think Kristen Chenoweth's good for Fran? No. Oh, okay. I don't. So Bush um, – Bush. Why can't I talk? Brooks Ashmenskas was also in. He was the creepy boss. Excellent. Which is He's excellent. always great. Very inappropriate casting of Christian Chenoweth as Fran. Oh, okay. She's supposed to be like young, like naive oh, okay. young girl. Christian Chenoweth was like in her 40s. Right, okay. It was just inappropriate. Okay. Also, I don't think she has the look or the voice for this role. Yeah. Like I just don't think she's an ingenue. Yeah. Um, it definitely wasn't his first show, by the way. <laughs> It's quite far into Lucky his career. Lucky I apologise for that. <laughs> He'd already been nominated for a Tony for Guys and Dolls. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, good on me. That's all right. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I really like Christian Chenoweth. I really do, but I just yeah. think, like, she's not right for everything. Okay. And this is a particularly bad one, I reckon. I think this revival was probably shit. 
Right. If you read the forums on Broadway World, which I actually do not recommend because they are toxic as fuck, yeah. um, the world seems to agree that it just wasn't that great. Okay. Um, inappropriately, the songs I Say a Little Prayer and A House Is Not A Home were just shoehorned into the show. I, have, I remember that, yeah. So not okay, just wrong. This review from the New York Times sums it all up. Yeah. While Promises, Promises may have been a perfectly timed commercial confection for 1968, it's never been an A-list musical. Neil Simon's Anything for a Laugh book coarsens its basis. (laughs) While Hal David's trite pop lyrics strain mightily when asked to convey character or advance plot, only Burt Bacharach's fizzy score is the real deal with its original and period-defining sound. So it's no surprise that it's taken 42 years for the show to come back to Broadway. Yeah, A wow. confluence of events is behind its reappearance, the first being the success of the 60s set TV show Mad Men oh. and the second, the interest of two stars who might sell tickets. Unfortunately, Sean Hayes and Christian Chenoweth aren't suited to their roles. It may not matter commercially given the predilection of today's Broadway audiences for seeing their idols in the flesh and hearing songs they already know but it definitely prevents the pot from boiling okay interesting so yeah like i think and i've read quite a few reviews it wasn't like a clusterfuck it just wasn't very good yeah and like just they, a little bit maybe boring yeah or... and they just they just shouldn't have been in those roles yeah so i mm. i will say that um it's i can see that the lyrics like i do really i, like, I agree like Burt Bacharach's music is great but yeah, yeah. like they, they are pop songwriters you know they are. that's so right. possibly the the songs weren't great at moving character, like moving story and character along. Yeah, I think that that is a really fair assessment. Like, I think I get because I'm such a Burt Bacharach fan. I think I get blinded a bit by the awesomeness of mm, the songs, and yeah. then forget that actually they should be serving a purpose in this musical. Yeah, interesting. And some of them really do, but it's not most of them. Yes, okay. So, mm, like, so here's my next point: the music is actually banging. It just is. Like, yeah. it's just. So many great songs. It's just like good classic Burt Bacharach magic going on. Yeah. That's that. I have two fun facts. Yep. Arguably the biggest hit of the show, I'll Never Fall in Love Again. So that was written for the show. It was composed the night before the show opened. Amazing. Um, as it seems to be the way, everyone realised the show needed another song. Yeah. So Burt Bacharach, who'd just been released from hospital with pneumonia and was still really sick, <laughs> and Hal David just chucked it together. Wow. The night before. Wow, that's and it's awesome. Like, everyone knows this song. Yeah, Even that's an incredibly Promises, Promises, famous song. It's incredibly famous. Um, so another fun fact, this show features my favourite Christmas song of all time. My yes. husband will attest to this because I sing it all the time. Turkey Lurkey Time is the most delightful piece of fluff you will ever hear. And if you want to see what this show is all about, including Michael ben- Bennett's like bitching choreography yeah. and John and McKechnie just being a badass, watch their performance of it at the Tony Awards. Yeah, like, and it's sort of famous for A, the choreography the for Curry, that song. Yes. It's so of its time so and good. how like fluid their limbs are kind yes. of thing. Yeah. And that's a big deal. Like I watch this clip maybe twice a year. Yeah. Every year. Yeah. And because the song delights me but also just like the, oh, my God. So it's like three main girls sing it. And I don't know who the third one is but it's Donna McKechnie and Bayork Lee um, who were both in the original cast of Chorus Line a couple of years later. And And Bayork Lee went on to be like. The, well, she, the, she was the like director the, of like yeah, kind of the resident of the director. Yeah, of yeah. all the revivals. Yeah. So she was in that um, Every Little Step yeah. documentary a lot. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to link to that performance. I'm also linking to She Likes Basketball again from the Tonys, which is Jerry Orbach doing it at the Tonys yeah. because it just makes me really happy. I, I don't know if you remember, but I, you know, I used to have another Instagram account that was like a plus size fashion Instagram. Yeah. And the name of it was Half as Big as Life. That's, yeah, which is a song that, from that's the show. That's the Promises, Promises reference. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which I love. <laughs> um, okay, some gateway songs. Well, firstly, very unfortunately, only the revival recording is available on Spotify. Not the original. Not the original. Right. But the original is available on YouTube. Okay. So I'm linking to both of them. Here are your gateway songs and they should be listened to in this order. Firstly, I think you should listen to Whoever You Are in brackets, I Love You. 
It's the most beautiful, heartbreaking song. It's one of the only ones that really does advance character and story. It's the first time we sort of see Fran's heartbreak. So it's just her on her own? It's just her on her own. And the song is so beautiful. Um, I think you should definitely listen to the original version of I'll Never Fall In Love Again. Yeah. Because it's quite different from a lot of the covers of it. Yeah. Like subsequently, the pop covers it's very sparse stripped back there's just like a, a guitar, guitar. company is someone even playing guitar on stage I th- yeah it's fran i think okay yeah um and it's a duet i mostly well. remember them say like sean hayes and christian chenoweth doing that on like an award show or something yes and yeah so i very strongly believe that christian chenoweth should not sing this song okay right unfortunately because we're on spotify the one on the gateway playlist is, is christian theirs, chenoweth yeah. i would rather you didn't listen to that okay um because i just don't she just doesn't suit it and i think the other gateway song should be she likes basketball yeah even though I want to say Turkey Lurkey Time, it doesn't make any sense. Right. <laughs> it's just a random song in the middle of the show. Yeah. It has nothing to do with anything yeah. except that they're at a Christmas party. Yeah. It's like the office Christmas party, right? Exactly. I think I sometimes get elements of promises, promises, promises and how to succeed in business without really trying confused. I was actually going to say this exact thing. Yeah. I just think it's that thing like kind of. They're both musicals about like corporate America. But it's also got that like shiny 60s like. Yes. Exactly. Like geometric shapes and, and like pastel yes. colours sort of thing yeah. going on. Yeah. 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 I don't know what it is. I'm doing that show in the not too distant future. So maybe when I do my research for that, I'll You'll find figure some. It out. Yeah. There must be a link. There must be a link. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually really love this show. Yeah. I really love it. Do you think it holds up? Well, no. The, like I no. don't mean the misogyny. I just mean like if you did it now, could you – do a good production of it kind of thing or is it yes. of its th- time? No, I think you could. Okay. I think it would hold up in that way. But the way. revival was not that production. No. 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 And I don't I don't know all the reasons why. You might just have to do it a bit more tongue-in-cheek now or something, like I think a bit so. more self-aware. I think that's the thing. And, yeah. And, like, I think too you've got to really – I think you've got to stick true to the original Corey. I think that's really integral to the show. Yeah. Um. And I think you'd probably, yeah, like have to really poke fun at it and yourself if you're doing it successfully. Yeah, for sure. And I think you probably need to cast age-appropriate actors. (laughs) Like I'm sorry, just do it. Yeah. So, yeah, that's Promises, Promises. Awesome. Well, that was a bit of fun after the emotional weight of falsettos. Oh, such a weight. (laughs) Although, to be fair, Fran does try and commit suicide. I just wish, yeah. So many problems. Yeah. It's just like uh, it's funny because I was reading a lot about why the apartment was maybe so successful. Yeah. And like probably a lot of hardcore fans would be like, no, it still holds up today and it's still an excellent film. And the performances are great. Like Shirley MacLaine's amazing. Yeah. Jack Lemmon's amazing. Yeah. And we know Billy Wilder's such a talent. But it's so I think it really relies a lot on the shocking nature of its subject matter. Right. And there's nothing shocking about that now. A, it's just a incredibly bit like awful. If you do company traditionally, yeah. no one cares that a 35 year old is like, I'm not married. Not married. Yet. That's like, right. Everyone would be like, I, I don't understand why you're telling me this again. Yeah. That it's he's just not, not shocking. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. I just don't think. I don't. I think the same thing goes for the show. And if you if you play it as if it's like a legitimate shocking, you know. Yeah. Not going to work. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's shocking just because of the way they treat women, not because it's like raunchy or a bit naughty. You'd almost have to play that aspect more. Yeah, Yeah, like everyone is just a bit of a dick, including the lead character. Yeah, he's just a bit of a dick. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Yes, thank you, Ruth. Thank you, Josephine, and And, um, tune in on Thursday for the mixtape. Yeah, you should do that. It's very good. Yeah, we love mixtapes. I love a mixtape. And please um, give us a review on iTunes. It really helps other people find the show. And, uh, yeah. I'm yawning. Oh, well, that's right. We're done now, so you can go to sleep. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Night. (laughs) 